You're listening to the Library Pros Podcast with Chris and Bob, a techie librarian and a computer IT guy discussing libraries, technology, and all things this side of the reference desk. Thanks, Carl. Hi, and welcome to episode 26 of the Library Pros Podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Bob. And, and we're coming to you today from the Sachem Public Library in Holbrook, New York. If this is your first time listening, thanks for coming. The Library Pros Podcast is produced bi-monthly, so don't forget to check us out and subscribe to our RSS feed, iTunes, soon-to-be Apple Podcasts, Android, email, and now on Google Play. Links and notes from today's podcast can be found on our website, thelibrarypros.com, on Twitter, at the Library Pros, or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash thelibrarypros. Today, joining us via Google Hangout, which we finally got to work, uh, is Chad Marin. I said it right, right? Yeah, I think you did. All right. I usually mess these things That's up. Good. Well, the first time, that was meh. That's not bad. You got it right. So uh, he's a librarian at the Innovation Lab at, the Saint Peter- at St. Petersburg College in St. Petersburg, Florida. Chad has also appeared as a TEDx speaker in 2015, and he also has a Tumblr account for, uh, for the Innovation Lab, which can be found at spcilab.tumblr.com. And on top of it all, he's a drummer in two bands, which we think is really cool, too. So welcome to the podcast. All right. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. Oh, it's, it, we, we're glad to have you. We're going to speak with Chad about uh, the geek end of libraries, which is something that Bob and I are, are very familiar with, uh, his innovation lab, and what libraries are and should be doing to allow patrons and show patrons, whether they're students or in a public library setting, uh, what making is all about. But first, let's get to know Chad. So we were very excited when you agreed to come on the podcast. And how did you come to be in library land? Um, well, you know, it's like probably every typical story. I've been, when a little kid, I've always gone to the library, hanging out, reading the books, that kind of thing. And then when I was in college, I went to my college library and um, used to hang out in the vinyl area and just kind of you know, browse through vinyl. I never really realized that libraries would have vinyl. Thought that was pretty cool. Um, and then I just, you know, I was uh, doing undergrad work, humanities, and I just was always in the library and figured, well, this is what I want to do. You know, I like being in here, and there's a lot of cool stuff happening. So the rest is history. I've been doing it for a while now. That's great. It is really awesome, yeah. So where did you receive your master's degree? Uh, the University of South Florida, I think in 2001. I was a 2001 person as well. Nice. Yeah? Cool. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Um, and it's always interesting when we interview people who aren't from here in New York, because especially here uh, on Long Island, uh, there's only two or three library schools. So it's nice to hear that people go to other library schools, especially, you know, when, we aren't there when they're not from the island. Yeah. Yeah, it is great. So do you have a background in technology, or are you like most of us and self-taught and kind of, right, you know, wing it? Yeah, you know what? I'm probably 90% self-taught, um, and it started really on music. You know, I'm a musician, and I used to have a bunch of computers networked together and running my drums through stuff and doing MIDI and all this, you know, cool things like that. And so I've, I've always been kind of a tinkerer, um, and then if I never – I always try to figure things out on my own, and that's what I try to teach my kids and my students all the time is just try to figure it out on your own first. So, yeah, I'm – very self-taught but i mean i've taken some classes over the years um coding classes that kind of thing that's cool well it it is funny because i'm the same way you know it started with a commodore 64 for me so 
it always mm-hmm. it, it is kind of funny because there's, there's the book smart people and then there's the people who just get their hands dirty and i've always been a get my hands dirty kind of guy so yeah yeah you got to roll your sleeves up it's funny you mentioned the commodore 64 i've got a an atari 1040 st in my lab right now it's one of my old ones <laughs> That's so that really. goes that goes way back and actually i used to use that for midi you know for music composition and stuff and it was the, the timing of that old atari is better than most pcs th- these days so pretty cool stuff yeah yeah it is ancient it should be in a museum yeah definitely so mm -hmm. you're next um yeah you no you're next okay so tell us about the library of congress and what your connection is to them let's see it was in actually i was an undergrad at usf university of south florida and um it was a it was called the junior fellowship program and i didn't even really know about it until one of my professors said hey you should go try to do this and i said okay Sure, why not? And uh, I was able—I got it, luckily, which was cool. And then when I got there, I—I I didn't realize I was going to be um, involved with the uh, music division. So I got to archive Leonard Bernstein's work. That's um, awesome. Which—which which was which was amazing. And then I, what was really cool was I got to tour all of the Library of Congress. It wasn't just you know going there and and you know going through boxes of of Lenny's stuff. It was touring every little nook and cranny of the library. Um, like I got to hold a Beethoven manuscript, like a real one that they were oh, working on. That's cool. Yeah, yeah with ink spills and stuff on it. And uh, and then near the end, I had to do a presentation in front of um, James Billington, who was the librarian of Congress at the time. So that was a little overwhelming as an undergrad, you know, um, presenting to that guy. Yeah. You know, Ronald Reagan appointed him. <laughs> so, <Wow. laughs> but, but it was cool. The, the experience was great. I got to live in D.C. for a while, and uh, it was nice. That must have been really to amazing too. to be surrounded by all that stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they had a radio station, too, I remember. I remember going down there and, and seeing, I mean, they have all these amazing recordings, and they had a radio station. I tried to get, you know, be an intern there, but it just didn't work out. That would have been very awesome. Oh, yeah, definitely. So uh, you're an academic librarian, obviously, because you're at St. Petersburg College. How long have you been there? Uh, I've been there since 2004. So you've been so, there a while, a while yeah. 13 years. Yeah. The good thing about where I work, though, is it's a joint-use library, so I get to work with the public and academic side of it, so a little bit of both, which is great. That's pretty cool. That's interesting. So both perspectives, yeah, that's neat. Yeah. 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 So tell us a little bit about the Innovation Lab, and this is where I, I, I this is, like, great for Chris and I because we're total geeks. Uh, and how and when, yeah, did, well, how, when did you start that project or how to get started? Let's see. It's it's been a, it's been around for over three years now, and it's it was a selfish thing for me. Um, I've always been the tinkerer, and you know I've always liked playing with the new technology that's out. Yeah. So for me, it was it was selfish. I was like, you know, I, this makerspace thing is starting to get pretty popular, and you know, and and I want to start playing with Raspberry Pis and three D printers and robotics and all this stuff that goes into a makerspace. And I so I, I wrote a grant and um got it and so what the funny thing is is you know didn't have a room or anything set up i was concerned with like okay i want to buy this stuff so i didn't have a room in mind or anything and so um worked with my provost and the director of the library and said can we have this study room because nobody's using it really you know um and so we took over that and so then i spent all the stuff all my money on stuff and then i met with the the college interior decorator 
and I was like, oh, by the way, I want to, I would love to have this kind of furniture in there and, and maybe put this here, you know, paint it this color and whatever. And so she was like, okay, well, I'll, I'll give you a quote on that. And so then the quote came back and it was like $6,000. And I was like, oh, yeah, I don't have any money for that at all. Um, and so what was nice is my provost said, hey, you know what? I will find money for you to get that stuff done. So I was able to get really nice furniture and, and uh, you know, Ethernet ports added and some other outlets and nice artwork and, and all kinds of stuff. So that was I got really lucky there because if not, I would have just had all this stuff in an empty room, yeah. which could have still worked. But, yeah. So it's it was really started out selfish. And it's still... It's great. I mean, I get to learn all this new stuff. I got to be one step ahead of everybody else. That's always the trick, isn't you know, it? Then I, yeah, yeah. And sometimes I go to a workshop, you know, because we do a lot of educational type of things there. And sometimes I'll walk in and go, hey, we're going we're gonna to talk about robotics today. And, and I'll do a quick little 20-minute thing about robotics. And then I'll bring, like, a couple boxes. and Like, hey, look, I've got these robot kits, but... Um, you know, let's open the box together and let's go in and dig in and, and do it. And those are really fun because it's kind of impromptu. So, so you know, you just got to know what the thing is capable of doing and then be able to just kind of figure it out on the fly, you know. And these, these younger kids are usually pretty good at that stuff anyway. So you're just kind of there witnessing it. Well, you know, it's funny that you, you talked about the grant because actually that was our next question. Um, mm-hmm. How are you funded? Is it you know, direct, do you have a budget that's given to you by the college or do you have to apply for grants every year? How does that work? Yeah, it's funny because when I do presentations on this, people always ask me that question. And I, I tell them I have zero budget. Wow. None. And they're like, oh, my God. I'm like, well, that's why you got to actually roll up your sleeves. And, and, and sometimes you have to write a grant or you have to go to your friends of the library group and say, hey, look, because they, by the way, have a ton of money. Yeah. Um, in most libraries, the friends group have a lot of money. And so go in there with some ideas and say, Hey, look, you know, um, this is what I'd like to do. But yeah, almost everything that we do is grant funded. I'm actually working. We were awarded three grants. Uh, what year are we in? 2017. It was, um, late last year. Um, so this year I'm working on three new grants and I'm actually writing another one right now, um, through Google, um, for a coding project that we're working on. So it's like, you know, do a lot of, of grant writing. So that's sort of how it's actually, that's not sort of, that's exactly how it's funded. So wow. your, your lifeblood comes from writing grants, I suppose, right? To begin with. Yeah. And it's, it's weird cause I'm not a grant writer. I hate writing. I really do. Um, but necessity, I'm getting grants <laughs> necessity. Yeah. Right? That's what does it. Yeah. And, yeah, and, and working on this Google grant right now, what's nice is this is the first time I've had my college grant department help me out. Um, normally it's just me doing it last minute, you know, um, making it work. Luckily, um, this time I've got my grant department helping me out and that's been just amazing. Yeah. Cause they ask the right questions. It's great. So we'll have to, do before it's too late, you know, to see, cause if he gets the Google grant, then we'll do a follow up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's going to be exciting. So I guess, should know in October, I guess what kind of student does the lab attract and is it open to just any student that's on campus? It's open to everybody. Um, it's free to do anything in there. Um, it's open to little kids, college students, faculty, um, just people off the street. Yeah. And it's, it's open when I've, I mean, it's, I don't just let anybody walk in without me or one of my volunteers there because there's expensive stuff, you know. So, uh, but, yeah, it's, it's completely wide open. 
it's funny because I get questions all the time from other librarians, like, how much do you charge to 3D print stuff? And I'm like, nothing. I don't charge wow. anything. People, people freak wow. out. I'm like, it's not that expensive. And, and that's know? interesting. And sometimes people... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, yeah, go ahead. Well, I, I find it that it's interesting that your your lifeblood is grants, but yet you let you let people do stuff free, which is great. It's a wonderful thing. It's just that, I don't know, it, yeah. it seems kind of, it must be frustrating and a little, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, you know, you don't know from one year to the next what your budget's going to be. Yeah, that's true. But with, with stuff, stuff like 3D printing, that's really the only thing that would, would be charging for anyway. Um, but 3D printing is just, I can get a spool of, of filament for $30 that will last me, you know, I mean, I've got my, I've got a bunch of filament, but I still have the first filament that I got three years ago. So, I mean, we're not like a factory printing all day long and we're doing prototype printing. So, um, you know, I, I do get people that come in and they're like, Hey, can we, can I print 75 of these tubes? And I'm like, no, mm, yeah. you know, you can't do that. <laughs> but if you have an idea and, you know, or an invention or something that you want to prototype before you patent something, yeah. then yeah, come on in and print it for free. Like that, that, that to me is, is just the service we should be offering. That's well, pretty cool. Right? It is. Isn't it satisfying that, that people come to you and, you know, their successes or failures or something that you're part of in one way, shape or form? Mm-hmm. No, what's, what's really neat no, is I that love it. really necessity drives his, you know, writing grants and looking for money. So, like, when you do it like that, like, he needs it. Yeah. You know, so some people go to yeah. work and do they need the money? Sometimes they need the money. But when you really need the money, that's when you work the hardest. And then success on the yes. other end is, is, is so much better. Yeah, definitely. You know, so right. That sounds like it's working. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, how large, you said before you had volunteers, how large is your staff and, and how many people work directly with you in the innovation lab, you know, from the college? Well, I mean, I've got, I had an intern last semester. It's, it's all volunteer. So I've got a couple volunteers now. And so their times are kind of staggered throughout the day. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one of that's, I get that question a lot, even from my provost, even my new provost. He's like, what are your hours? I'm like, they're whenever they are open. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't have any set hours. It's because it's all volunteer run. Um, I do have a student assistant who is going to be starting in another week or so. And so he's getting paid, you know, a student assistant wage, whatever that is. So I'll have him for 15 hours a week, which is great. But other than that, the place is not open unless I have a, a cleared volunteer or an intern or a student assistant in there. Wow. So I'm guessing you know but, how to do a lot of collection development and, and some of the regular... You know, I, I do some collection development in there. Um, I mean, I it, it's an interesting thing. I mean... Being a librarian, I actually have all those duties still on top of teaching and on top of the innovation lab. So I'm, I do like three different things there. You know, so I do a ton of collection development for the library in general. Um, but I also do collection development for the lab. We have books and things in there, too. Wow. That's great. So, Sounds like you've been, you've been able to do an awful lot on not having a guaranteed budget. Volunteer. Yeah. Now, I will, yeah, I will say about the budget, though. You know, I do have a book budget. Okay, for the collection. So, but that's through the college, and and I've been doing more of like, hey, I can buy five of these really expensive books that no one's ever going to read, right. or I can buy twenty or thirty Arduino kits. That's a good. That's and so we've started point. circulating Arduino kits. That's a good now. point to argument. Yeah, that's good. That's great, and it helps with your staff so, too. It does, and so we circulate Arduinos and we circulate Raspberry Pis now. I mean, and it's. You know, it's obviously not a book, but there's a book with the kit, right. you know. 
you give but them like they're a, actually. What do they get when they take out the Arduino kits? Do they get like a starter? Here's what you could build, or do you just kind of yeah. let them have their own? It's like a starter kit. Yeah, it's got a breadboard and the the cabling and all Some that stuff that they need. Stuff like that. That's cool. Yeah, definitely. And that's great that you can actually circulate, and they usually come back in decent shape. Uh, usually, I don't circulate too many of them. I'm, I'm working on sort of like a video quiz thing where I kind of judge to see how serious they are, where they have to take like you know do like five questions to see if they're serious enough to do it. You know, simple stuff that'll take them like two minutes to do, um, because I don't want some kid to take it home and just lose everything just because he thought he was interested in it. You know? Yeah. Well, that's great. Um, so. That, that's really... But usually it comes back fine. Yeah. That's good. It's good when your mm-hmm. equipment comes back and it comes back in one piece. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. Well, you know how Arduinos are. There's like a thousand pieces. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for telling us about uh, a little bit about yourself and the Innovation Lab. So after we take yeah. a short break, uh, we're going to come back and speak with Chad about how uh, innovation can occur in a library setting. So we'll be back in just a moment. So we're back with Chad Marin, librarian at the Innovation Lab at the St. Petersburg College. I did say the last name right, right? Yep, you did. All right. Excellent. Okay. That's it. Okay. All right. So innovation, it was the focal theme of your TEDx talk, which we found really amazing and quite inspirational. So tell us, tell Library Land, I guess, about your comparison of librarians to Greek gods. Oh, the Greek gods. Okay, yeah. I forgot all about that. Um, <laughs> you know... <laughs> Boom, you're uh, on the spot. Boom, you're on the spot. Yeah, right? Um, it, well, I wrote a paper in graduate school, actually, um, that compared librarians to Prometheus. Uh, you know, he's the titan that stole fire from the gods in order to give it back to humanity. And, uh, you know, so fire was considered by ancients to be a tiny spark of the sun. And we've got the eclipse today. So it's kind of really good that we can talk about this, I guess. Um, so... You know, so this this tiny spark of the sun was a physical manifestation of, of a deity. So by bringing fire to mankind, Prometheus was basically in, enabling humans to partake in all this, you know, things, all things divine kind of a thing. So, and then to maybe even allow them to aspire to become gods themselves. So I thought about, I was like, wow, you know, so maybe librarians can offer people an intellectual spark that may become a huge fire or passion down the road. So what was interesting, though, is my professor wrote on my paper, I remember he wrote, hey, you know, I love that analogy, blah, blah, blah. But he's like, so, but sometimes librarians and and educators actually could also be like Sisyphus. And I was like, God, who's that guy? You know, and he's like, well, he's that king who was punished. um, I forget what he was punished for, but he was the guy, the God or the, the, I don't know if he was a God, but who um, had to push a large rock up a hill only to watch it come back down repeatedly. 
it's like, wow, you know what? That is kind of sort of, you know, what we do sometimes too. You know, you're just always pushing up a rock and it keeps coming back down on you. But I, I kind of like the Prometheus analogy better because we are giving the spark to people. You know, they have that discovery of, you know, whatever it is in the library. And then, you know, who knows where they're going to take it from there. So that was, yeah, that's, that's, I think, I think that's what I was talking about in TEDx. Yeah. Sounds very similar. Yeah, I think that's great. It's a great analogy, isn't you know it? What? It's an inspiration to, uh, to librarians that kind of think, you know, they're kind of stuck or, or not ready for what's mm-hmm. next or whatever. You know, I think it's... Sure. Yeah. So one of but the, you big... know, when you work with, go ahead, I'm sorry. I was just going to say when you work with kids, when you work with kids or adults or anything, and when you, when you see that spark go off though, that's that, a... that true, like that's really kind of a cool thing and you've got kids you said i think right so yeah. when you watch it in your own kids it's just it's just a nice thing to see yeah definitely and really it it, it makes you say well this was all worthwhile because well, how many people they, too like you know you've seen successful basketball players and and, and you know um folks in, in academia and stuff say you know well i, I spent a lot of time at the library because it was safe you know i spent a lot yeah. of time at the library because they could help me find things and help me get educated and kind of catch up on school and they thank you know when they're when they're older and they're successful. They thank libraries for being there. Yeah, you know, and that's exactly what oh, we're yeah. talking about. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. So one, you know, one of the biggest struggles with libraries, um, especially public libraries, and it sounds like you have the same issue is funding. Um, and in your TED talk, you talked about big things happening in small spaces and how libraries can, you know, with a limited budget, still do some pretty amazing creative things uh, to create a space for making and innovating. What's the pitch to administration? What do you say to administration to say, question. you know, it's a great question. How, how, well, um, how am I going to do this? Where am I going to get the space? How, how does this all happen? And I know you said before that you don't really have a, a budget from, from the college. Right. Yeah, you know, I think if you do any programming, you know, even if it's just a, a pile of Legos on a floor somewhere, that's, that's programming. You know, you're, you're doing something... Um, it's like a makerspace. And so if you have a bunch of kids in there and they're playing with Legos, then document it with pictures or something and then show the people in charge and say, Hey, look, there's people here that want this stuff. And then maybe even survey your users and go, Hey, you know, out of all this stuff, what would you be interested in learning more about, you know? Um, and then taking it from there because yeah, you, you can do big things in small spaces and you don't need a huge budget to do this stuff because, um, you know, just recently, I was actually asked to go to, to two different schools. And, and so, like, in two days, I, I met with, I want to say, like 140 faculty, you know, from K through 8. And they were wanting me to demystify STEM. <laughs> and to, to talk about how you can do, yeah, I know, right? And how you can do STEM activities um, for almost free, you know? And so, like... If you break a plate, for example, you can teach plate tectonics and, you know, with a broken plate, you could do very interesting programming with a paper airplane and teach kids about aerodynamics and design thinking and all this stuff. Um, my son designed a fidget spinner. We 3D printed it. Um, obviously, you need to have a 3D printer, but we 3D printed a fidget spinner and, you know, I went to my old skateboard, you know, and found a, you know, or my, actually it was my wife's skateboard took out some of the old bearings and we created a fidget spinner that's cool so now he's learning all about this stuff so you can do amazing things with nothing you know and you'll be amazed at how many people actually show up to these types of events 
Um, but then you you document it with pictures or whatever, and then you show your powers that be, hey, look, people are here and they they want to learn this stuff. Yeah, you know what's funny about your? So answer? I hope I answered your question. I don't know. No, no, you did. You know what? I think it's perfect because the answer to that is like you get it's so much harder for them to say no when you give them backup to say yes. You know, and uh, yes, you know, we had, remember Helen. We we had talked to Helen about quite a while back about mm-hmm. that. Yeah, and she had said you got to make it hard harder for them to say. Uh, no, than it is for them to say yes. So when you go like, you know, like here's 30 people I went to this, this real quick, you know, like pseudo class, and they, and and we want to do it again. Yeah. They're gonna say yes. They're not gonna say no, and and if nobody shows yeah, up, you yeah. try something else. You know. It's, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, it's a, that's absolutely a great idea because a lot of people will like they'll go through the planning stage right of doing a project. They'll go to their administration mm-hmm. with you know I'm gonna need five thousand dollars to do this, and uh, and well how many tests have you done? You know how many things have you done to see if the community wants it? Well, I haven't done any. You know, you're not. Yeah. You're not going to probably not going to get that money, but if you go to them and say, "Listen, right. we did a couple of small tests, a couple of small courses, tons of people showed up. They really have a need for it, and you show them photos and mm-hmm. stuff like that." Oh, forget it. You're going to get all of that and then more. Oh, so oh yeah. That's a fantastic answer. So, keeping along with the theme of innovation, how can librarians engage patrons and start this process, if not with a dedicated space, but with simple programming? And what if the librarians in a facility are not tech nerds? So, if they're kind of scared of the word Arduino or starter package and things like that. Well, yeah, that's that's what I talked about with that STEM demystified thing. You know, I came in to all these teachers and said, hey, look, I'm not a scientist. I am not a technologist. Well, I'm not really a technologist. I'm not an engineer. I'm not a mathematician. I'm not, I'm not any of this stuff. I said, but, you know, you have to have, be a little curious about it, um, and you can teach this stuff. You don't have to be all those, you know, the whole STEM educational framework you don't have to be an engineer to do it and i think they were kind of like oh i'm like you just have to have you know some interest in it you know because your kids are going to have a huge interest in it most of them i think part of it too is imagination you You just have to have the imagination to come up with something look at you look at a paper plate and think what else can i do with this other than it being a paper plate it doesn't necessarily have to be a 3D printer, right. or a laser engraver, or a vinyl cutter. Right. Doesn't that have to be the, the, the quote-unquote sexy things that are in most maker spaces? Exactly. It could be something very simple, like cardboard. Think about like, what you could do with a cardboard yeah. box. Yeah. Yeah. Well, do you have oh, any suggestions? And it, the same yeah. thing, I am... Um... Go ahead. Go ahead, sorry. I'm sorry. No, no I was going to say, I even, I even showed this group of faculty. I brought in an old CD case, and I created a hologram. You know, I just brought my, I mean, a lot of, most people have cell phones now. So I showed them, hey, look, here's a hologram. And they were like, whoa. I'm like, it took two minutes to build it. I'm like, you can get your your kids to to create video. You can do video on your phone now, you know, Um, and then, you know, put them in four quadrants and then you've got a hologram. And they were like, whoa. I'm like, so now you can teach the concept of what a hologram is for nothing. Yeah. So there's, there's no excuse. There's no excuse. Yeah. You know, I, I always hear it all the time. People are like, oh, we just don't have any money. I'm like, well, that's not an excuse. Yeah, do you have a stack of stuff in and the I'm back? Because right. we can make stuff with that stack of stuff in the back. Yeah, yeah. The one we get mm-hmm. a lot here, um, Chad, is, a, is fear, you know? So that kind of goes along with our question, too. Like, yeah. Do you have any ideas on how to, how to dispel the fear? Or is it just being with them th- the first couple of times and saying, hey, look, you can load Minecraft. You can do this. You can do that, you know? Yeah, you just let them play. You got to give them time to play around um, and explore things, and let them know, hey, you know what? I'm not going to grade you. You know what I mean? I'm not going to judge you if you uh, if you don't do this thing right. You know, I always tell them penicillin was created accidentally. 
Yeah. It was an accident and it was penicillin. Okay. So like, you know, you make mistakes. Who cares? Fail. It's not a big deal. You know, you know it, it's really not. It's funny that you say that too, because from the makerspace that I have at the library I work at, um, I'm not an engineer. I did not study engineering. What library is that again? Oh, that would be the Sachem Public Library. Oh, right. Okay, good. Okay, yeah. I didn't want anybody okay. to forget out there. Yeah, of course, right. yeah. Um, that, and that would be Bob breaking my chops. Uh, so, you know, what's interesting to me is, you know, I don't have a background in engineering. I'm lucky I can read a ruler down to an eighth of an inch. And Look we're still able to do these things. And what's nice is, especially when the engineers come in, you don't have to be the the maven and the person that knows everything about everything all you're doing is facilitating their creativeness and i think that's what a lot of people either don't understand don't get or don't want to be involved in because they think oh well i have to learn how to use this 3d printer i'm gonna have to get nervous and they're gonna bring me a project and i'm gonna have to know exactly everything down measuring and first of all measuring and metrics scares the hell out of people why i don't know yeah it does yeah, but mm-hmm. it's, you know, wait, we're measuring in grams instead of ounces? Well, what's the big deal? It's <laughs> based it lines, on, right? yeah. it, it really is funny because everything, it's so simple. It's just based on tens. Um, yeah. But, you know, people, there, there are so many perceived barriers in a makerspace with mm-hmm. staff that are really, I mean, some of them, yes, can be justified, but some of them are just quite silly. Well, I don't know how to measure a metric, so I can't do this. Well, it's anxiety. Really is what it is. It comes down to yeah. just they're anxious, and they've built it up in their head to be so big and so much. And when you get down to it mm-hmm. and you hold their hand a little bit or you introduce them to something and they succeed a little bit, they, they go with it. Yes. Yeah. That, that, that's the formula that, that hopefully works. Um, so you guys have done an yeah. incredible job. Yeah. I mean, in a span of two years? Has it been two years you've yeah. been at Sachem? Uh the opening was in January, so it's almost a year. Okay. That, that you've been there, though? Oh, I've been there it, with part-time and full-time, be three years. Yeah, so he's been there three years, uh, Chad, and, and honestly, he's gone from, they had no makerspace, mm-hmm. to, I've got to mm-hmm. say, and, and I know pretty much every library in Suffolk County, you've got the best, or, or certainly, you know what, i, I, I got to say the best. I could say one of the best, but the best makerspace collection. And you're using it, mm-hmm. you know. Right. So some places had it. They, some places did it. Had a makerspace, and it kind of dwindled off because they didn't keep up with it. What's next? Uh, you know, yeah. build staff around it, right? To do programming and stuff. You guys have done a tremendous job, and I'm not getting paid for this. HM. I was going to say we have, we have to mark this day down. He's yeah, actually I'm not, being I'm not complimentary. Paid for the yeah. plug, but it's like it's in the span of two years, really a year, because you've only been open a year for, with right. that part of it. A year of planning it's, and a year of implementation. Just, yeah. Well, we forget the planning. That's the easy right. stuff, right? Yeah, but it's just it's blown <laughs> see, away do. the island. You know? <laughs> we don't even pl- I don't plan. By the way, like I, I usually him. don't plan much. <laughs> it, this is, he's a winged um, guy. I, I, I love try. it. I like to just, I mean, I mean, obviously you have to a little bit, but sometimes I'm like, you know what? Oh, here, here I'm going to go with it. Let's go. Let's do it. Like, I'll get into some collaboration thing we're doing later. But um, one thing I do want to say before I forget, when we talk about being an engineer and not, or not being an engineer, I have a funny story, and I'll make it as quick as I can. We had a, a robotic kit that was like over a thousand pieces, and it does a lot of great things. And I had an engineering group club from the college come in and I said hey guys why don't you want something to do they're like yeah I'm like, why don't you put this robot together okay within 20 minutes one of the kids came up to me and said hey um, you're missing a piece I said, really? <laughs> okay. I'm like the bot we just opened the box and any so anyway I said okay whatever fine so then um, about a week later I get a call from another library and they're just like hey we're getting new carpet can my librarian come over 
and hang out with you or in your lab and help you do something. I'm like, sure, I'm not going to be there, but I'll work with her. So she came over. I said, hey, what do you want to do? She's like, I don't know, anything. I'm going to be here for two days. You know, I said, okay. I said, well, why don't you do this? Why don't you look at this robot and just try to figure out what piece is missing? Hmm. And she's like, okay. She's never done. She's not an engineer. She's, you know, she works in the circulation department at, at a health library. Um, never put a robot together anyway. So she comes back to me about 45 minutes later. and She's like, oh, they put this one piece in backwards. Wow. And I said, oh, interesting. Incredible. And, I, and so she went in and she took it apart and she put it back together. And, and then about eight hours later, it was put together. So this woman, no engineering experience, nothing, was able to, to fix what I think six or seven engineering students couldn't do. That just goes because to show you, you know, there's, and I'm sure there's a joke in there somewhere. How many engineers does it take to put a robot together? You know, I don't know, but um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's just interesting how they all just thought they knew it, um, you know, because that's what they do. And they didn't. This woman who had no experience was able to put it together. And it still works to this day. That's great. And, and you know, what's cool so, about that story, too. It there was failure and then success. Mm-hmm. So, yes, it's not like you have to get it right the first time. Which is something, I right. guess, in a college atmosphere that, you know, it, it's almost something that you have to do because you're being graded on it and that kind of thing. Yeah. So it's mm-hmm. that, that was really kind of a cool story because it was a layperson who, who figured out the, yeah. the one thing. I just kind of know, did the engineers call you back and be like, so how'd you make out with ordering that part for the robot? No, it's funny. I, they did come back and I said, hey, by the way, um, one of our library staff actually came over by herself and she put it together. <laughs> They're like, really? And I said, because that part you guys put in was backwards. That's so great. So she, they just thought they knew how to do it, and she actually thinks procedurally, you know, and went through step by step and was able to do it. Yeah, that's that's, that's awesome. That that's an amazing story. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. So switching gears for a sec, you know, one thing that we have seen, you know, in makerspaces is collaboration, and I know you talked about that in your TEDx. Um, you know, that's what we're all about here on this podcast, and that's why we're doing it: um, collaboration and sharing knowledge you know, of what works and what doesn't work, you know, really works out well. Um, and we love to collaborate with anyone who will talk to us. Um, and it also is a theme, you know, at work with professional development. And we frequently go outside the traditional geographic boundaries, which, you know, are honestly geographic limitations, and look for collaboration, whether it's reaching out across county lines and, you know, the difference here on, the, on Long Island between Nassau and Suffolk County, uh, we're perceived to be kind of, big but in actuality we've had a lot of meetings with with the Nassau County librarians and there really is no there isn't any any issue that we thought was there before you know and and we're even reaching now across state lines and even international lines here with the podcast so tell us about your experience with collaboration whether you know they be patrons or other learning institutions or public libraries yeah collaboration is huge um we God, where do I even begin? I mean, we, we collaborate with, um, you know, other libraries. I'm actually working with um, this group called FLA STEM. And a high school kid, um, about two years ago, he's a senior now. He group, and they're basically, um, they go out to middle schools and they teach STEM type work. So I work with him um, or his group, and they come over and help me do coding workshops and that kind of thing. Um, cause I can't, I just can't teach everything, you know? Um, and so I have them come out. I've collaborated with this group called Gulf coast makers. 
Um, they've got an event that they do um, called their. It's just called MakerCon, and then I've been doing an event for three years now called Pinellas Comic and MakerCon, which is uh, you know a comic book convention slash maker convention, and it's huge. Um, last year we had over five thousand people show up. So now we're partnering MakerCon. And so this event, we're skipping this year, 2017, but next year in March, March 24th, we're going to do another event, um, and it's going to be huge. And so that partnership is nice because now we're going to have blacksmiths. We're going to have um, drone races. We're going to have electric car races oh, cool. on top of all the, th- you know, the robotics and all that stuff too. So we would never be able to do that unless we partner with this group. Yeah. Um, uh, God, we're, we're, who else? Um, believe it or not, NASA. Um, there was uh, an educational public outreach initiative that they were working on. I wrote a letter of support for them. Uh, there was a grant they were working on. And so then they reached out to me recently, actually. It had nothing to do with the eclipse. It was something to do with, um, I forget what it was now, but um, they were very interested in, in homeschooling because we, we work a lot with homeschooling. So we've partnered with about six or seven different homeschooling agencies, too. Um, for our maker boot camp, which is part of um, our innovation lab. So uh, I, there's, there's a bunch of others. I just can't think of them right now. But those are the main ones that we work with. That's great. Hey, collaboration is huge. I mean, we're not islands. We, we have to help each other because... Well, especially nowadays. I mean, you know. Yeah. With, with Cirque, well, I mean, with Cirque stats dropping, right? and Or at least in the past being in the tube. Mm-hmm. You know, this mm-hmm. is, this has really spawned us to develop more of what yeah. you know. We're looking at the uh, the patrons in our area or the students in your area, uh, what they want, you know, and, what, and how we can provide it for That's them. That's right. You know, so. you know, books yeah. are still an important part of what we do in the public library area, um, but mm-hmm. we're noticing that it's not as um, large a demand as it used to be. Obviously, DVDs are still huge, at least over at, at Sachem. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, I know. Yeah, um, so it's. Uh, you know, but the one of the, the big things in library in the library world, the public libraries, is trying to attract the twenty somethings and thirty somethings, and we're seeing that the twenty somethings and thirty somethings see the equipment and see the things we're doing and see the classes that we're offering, and it's starting to bring them in. Well, it's funny. It's like Chad said before, right? You were excited yeah. that they had a vinyl collection, and you you know went there to, yeah. to kind of sort through it. Now we're seeing that these folks are excited about coming to the library. And this is a group of people that, yeah. for the last couple of years, we haven't even seen in the library. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, right. we're, we're kind of going back to our roots of being exciting and being a, a place somebody wanted to go and wasn't told to go, you know, that kind of thing. So, Exactly. It's a place of discovery, you know. It's all about discovery, no matter what. I you love know, like, I, yeah. speaking, of, speaking of DVDs, I mean, we still order a ton of CDs. And what's cool is we have a college radio station. And so me and another librarian actually have... Uh, a radio program which we're going to start getting back we've only done two shows um and we basically we called it unshushable um music from the vault <laughs> you know music from the vault so we we go through our you know we got a really good connect you know collection so we go in and we just kind of highlight some of the stuff in our music collection so that'll be coming back strong again i'm actually meeting that that radio station um an advisor for that group um tomorrow actually so pretty excited because then that brings more visibility to the library too like hey we're not just we're not just, you know, circulating old box CDs, which is cool. We still have that stuff. But, you know, we've got, you know, The Descendants and other cool punk stuff and weird jazz and just metal and whatever, whatever is out there, you know. So now 
you know, they, they come in and they're like, wow, this, this music collection is pretty cool. So, so that means now so. we have to know if, if the station streams and we have to know when you're on because yeah. I want to listen to Absolutely, this. Absolutely, yeah. It does. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to send you a link to that too. Um, yeah, and we'll add it to the, uh, to to the website for the, uh, for the episode yeah. too. Yeah, that'd be great. You know, it's funny. I gotta, so that's exciting. I got yeah. to ask because, you know, what do you think about bringing vinyl back into the library scene? I think it's a great idea, and we actually, and I'm glad you said that, because I just reminded me to jot this down, because we had somebody offer to donate a ton of wow. stuff to us. you got to take and, them. I yeah. think it's coming back, because look at all the stores that are popping up now that are selling vinyl. There's a store out east on Long Island, mm-hmm. and I'm against it, that just popped up, and they're doing fantastic, you know, they have vinyl, and, and people are walking by, but they're going in, they're seeing some of the older stuff, they're seeing some of the newer stuff. Sony's going to start reprinting again. So oh, it's it's it's. I don't think it ever. I don't ever think it ever died. Actually, and I um, I was just in Long Island not well about a year ago, and and you know I'm always hitting the record stores there, yeah, and found some good stuff. And I'm you know it's it's part of that discovery again. You know I love going to a record store and just browsing around and going, oh man, look what I just found. You know what yeah. I mean? And it was like that. It was like that in the library twenty years ago for me. And I think a lot of yeah, people think, would, would kick off if we started another vinyl collection. Oh yeah, That'd be great. Absolutely. Yeah, we're we're planning it. We're planning it on a, on our other campus library, um, but I'm glad you mentioned that because that's something I uh, that we had going, but we just I kind of dropped the ball on it. Well, it was almost like a treasure hunt too. I mean, the way yeah. most things were in the library before we had you know web packs and things like that. You know, it's like a treasure hunt, and you would. I remember being a kid at the Patrick Medford Library, and you know, mm-hmm. just flipping through and trying to find that that hidden gem that's stuck between all the Tchaikovsky and yeah. and Mozart and stuff. Wait, you have Zeppelin too on vinyl? I know, right? Yeah. And I'm then make a pitch for it, Emma. It's yeah. a good idea. Yeah. I'm going to try it's it. Do it. Yeah. do it. Yeah. So, it's funny cuz we've been talking about this. So, in working in a makerspace, you know, the facilitator, whether it be a professor or a librarian, they don't necessarily need to be the expert with every piece of equipment, but the facilitators mm-hmm. for the person looking to innovate. So, as library professionals, you know, they can learn from the people that, who come in. And so that breaks away from the fear, too, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty neat. So, you I mean, you can learn, like you guys learned from the engineers coming in, and then you learned again from, from your, um, the other librarian that came in and actually fixed the robot, right? So that kind of idea. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's interesting, too. As I know that some of the contacts that I've developed with some of the engineers that come in into our library... Um, they, we actually were trying to put a program together. One of my colleagues um, is is has a dachshund, so she follows everything dachshund on um, on Facebook. And she found a woman with a dachshund who was abused as a puppy, and oh. someone cut off their leg. Oh, so it's missing a front leg. So she reached out and said, "We'd be more than willing to put a team together to create a prosthetic leg for for this dachshund." Oh, so great. I reached out to three engineers that I, I that have come to use our materials and use some of the equipment and said, would you be interested in being part of this? And usually, you know, you send an email like that and you hear back maybe in three or four days or a week. Within five minutes, all three wrote back and said, yes, absolutely. And we already have ideas, yeah. you know, and they, they had leaf spring ideas and jointed leg ideas. And then they were asking about load and how they were going to distribute load. And I'm just sitting mm-hmm. back saying, wow, that's just, I just threw, I thought I was going to throw a match onto some wet firewood and I turn it onto gasoline and yeah. it's great. I, I don't yeah. know where it's going from there because I heard that maybe the Ellen show is getting involved with them as well. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to pursue that to hopefully make it 
more less about making the the prosthetic for the dog with the Ellen Show doing it versus the Ellen Show doing a piece about how a library yeah helped to make a prosthetic limb for for the dog. I think that's a that's a more interesting angle and I'm hoping That's a better story, yeah. Yeah, I'm hoping that that's something that can can happen. I just we haven't heard back in a while. So, to be continued. That's great though. But it's that whole idea that you're not just providing this material for the engineers to come in, do their thing and leave. You'd mm-hmm. build relationships with them. And right. it, it's nice that, you know, with that collaboration comes um, you know, brainstorming and all that stuff and and that goes into what you were saying, especially in your TED talk about plumbers and prototypes. And, you know, yeah. you know, it doesn't yeah. matter and if that prototype succeeds or fails. It's, a, it's about the innovation and it's more about the, the drive than it is the destination. And um, it, yeah. isn't it exciting to see someone else's light bulb go off? We talked about that earlier with kids, but with adults as well. And facilitating oh, yeah. that by collaborating and brainstorming, you know, it moves the project further. And isn't it nice to see a project go past being some, in someone's imagination and actually going to... Uh, the point where they're actually moving forward and patenting and, and moving, you know, and then they come back, you know, six months later with an actual item that's that they're able to sell. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's We've a, had a couple examples of that, actually. Um, you know, one, this younger college student came to me a while back and he had an idea for a little, uh, like a little water cup thing to because he was doing landscaping and always getting dirt in his eyes so he, it was like a thing where you could pour water in it and it would flush your eye out and so he wanted to print out a prototype so he printed a prototype and and he was took it home and it worked and the last i knew he was trying to get he apparently he was going to have this little eye cleaner thing in first aid kits oh wow and so if he and you know i never heard back from him but i'm like wow if if this little little idea simple idea is now in all these first aid kits, that kid's probably going to be set, you know? And then um, another good example, and uh, and I apologize if you're going to ask this question later, but um, another good prototype example is I had a student come in, and she was in a medical capstone class, and she needed to, to solve some kind of a problem. And so she worked in a hospital, and, you know, those little nurse intercom things where you can change the channel or call the nurse in a hospital? Yeah, sure. Well, those things kept falling off the bed, and so she wanted to do something with 3D printing. And I was like, all right, well, you know, you could just probably use duct tape, right? Or you could probably use Velcro. It'd be, that would fix it. She's like, yeah, I know, but I want to do 3D printing. So we designed a little prototype for that hold, that holds this intercom, and it kind of connects to the bed. And so she did a couple, brought them to work, and they didn't work, and we kind of fixed them up. Well, we finally got it to where it worked really well, and it, it doesn't fall off the bed at all, and it fits perfectly in there, the, the intercom. Well, she brought it to, to school. She got an A, did really well. She brought it to work. It passed some kind of inspection. Well, now the now her hospital wants to mass produce these things, um, which is a kind of a big deal, you know, because those nurse intercom holders are everywhere, and nobody's designed some kind of a holder for them yet. So now we're looking at this whole concept of okay, now we might need to patent this idea, um, you know, intellectual property and all this stuff. We need to figure out what we need to do next. So that's a, a pretty huge possibility now that this thing might get mass produced. That really super is super exciting. That is awesome. great. And you have to, uh, at some point say to her developed at the St. Petersburg college innovation lab. 
Yeah. Get a exactly. little plug or something. Get well, like especially a, universities, right? You could actually work something out where you own 5% of that or something like that. I mean, that's... Yeah. Right? Or, mm-hmm. Maybe. So you see that on Shark Tank all the time. They talk about it like, well, the university, you know, we developed this in class. So the university of so-and-so owns 8%, you know, something like that. So yeah, it's kind of cool. So along those exactly. lines, so, along those lines, Chad, tell us about the concept of being afraid to fail. You know, those first couple of prototypes were a little bit of rough and, and why we are inherently so afraid for that to happen, to let that failing happen so that success can be even bigger on the other end. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I don't know why everyone fears that, you know, I mean, I I'm trying to think when it develops too, you know, because kids don't care. Most younger kids could care less if they do something wrong right away, you know. Yeah. Um, it it seems like maybe it's maybe it's around middle school. I don't know where there's a lot of peer pressure and people start laughing if you do something wrong and all this stuff. You know, we're human. We do stuff wrong all the time. You know, um, you learn from your mistakes. Um, so yeah, I don't know that that fear of of failing is just. I don't know. You know what it is? Um, it's the fear of being caught doing it wrong. That's what, right? Because if you do it, if you do it on your own wrong, and nobody knows about it, nobody cares, right? That's but true. But if you're in front of a classroom and you, and you do it wrong, and you're supposed to be the facilitator, supposed to be the teacher, it's the, yeah. it's the fear of getting caught doing it wrong, right? Yeah. Yeah, and it's like you know, public speaking. You know, I used to hate public speaking, and and then I and then I remember I had a like almost an epiphany one day. It was in college, and I remember going, you know what? Do I care that if I say a word wrong and people laugh, like? Like the person laughing, you know what I mean, has, has said a word wrong too. It doesn't really matter. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like, I think I got to a point finally where, and being a musician kind of helps too. But when you're just like, I, you know, but that for me, it was easy to, to just finally move on and not worry about failing, you know, and not fa- and, and not caring about failing in front of people, you know? Um, but I, you know, I don't know. A lot of people just can't get through it. I don't think it's tough. But at least in the lab, there's no kind of judgments. There's no, you know, we don't worry about grades or anything. And I'm just like, just have fun with it. And I, a lot of times I just leave the room and let them work on it and, and whatever. Yeah. You know, but, um, but it's a good question. It really is. I don't know how to really answer it just to give them a comfortable space to, to try things. Yeah, I mean, part of it, too, is we're so pushed into testing. And when you're wrong, yeah. it's, it's a negative connotation versus, you know, we teach scientific theory, but yet we don't allow the scientific, you know, the, the, the actual process the, you know, of conducting yeah. an experiment to actually succeed in a classroom. So yeah. And, and, and you're right. It's all a process, too. That whole scientific method, you know, it's a process. You fail at something, you figure out why it failed, and you make it better. Yeah. I mean, and that's sort of... It's hacky at this point because I've said it a billion times, and if anybody's sick of hearing me say it, you can send us a, a message, say, stop saying it, but it's about Edison yeah, and the light bulb. Send it to Chris. Yeah. You send it to Chris, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, it's Edison and the light bulb. That's right. You know, if he would have stopped, yeah. and I actually use this analogy with somebody, if if Edison were alive today, we'd have nothing but fluorescent lights. That's right. <laughs> because, yeah. you know, ah, I'm not doing this anymore, you know, but... I mean, that's a different commentary and a different discussion. What are we teaching them, right? If they're not willing to fail 1,999 times or 2,000 times, however many times that is to fail, that that when he got it, right, the joy of the success was worth the 2,000 failures, right? It makes it it sweeter. They don't get to experience that if they don't try and just walk away and say, I can't do it the first time. Right. Right. Well, isn't it cool, too, when you see somebody wander into the space and they kind of have this abstract idea of some vague thing that they like to make, and they're not even sure what it is or what shape it's going to take, or, mm-hmm. or you know, they just have a basic concept. And isn't it fun to see it, you know, start 
to see the process of making it a reality. Um, oh yeah. It, what's I think interesting, and I've always said this about like our electronic devices, whether it's a phone or a tablet or something, they suck the um, imagination and the wonder out of your thought process because if you have a question, you don't say, "Well, I wonder whatever." You know, the word wonder doesn't use. It's been replaced by Google. So it's nice when somebody comes in that has an idea for a project, but they don't know how to get even to point A before they get to point B. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't even know how to get to point A. And it's really cool to see um, how they can cultivate, you can cultivate somebody's imagination just by reinstilling that sense of wonder. You've seen that before, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you see it in, you know, even our coding classes, you know, you present them with some kind of a problem and then say, how would you solve this with these tools? You know, and you could do the same thing with, with an actual tool, you know, like, oh, you've got this problem, whatever it is, and here's a hammer. What else can you do with this thing? You know, can you fix it somehow? And I think, you know, giving them a problem to solve with some critical thinking or whatever it is they're using um, is, is huge nowadays. And so, like, that's sort of what our, our coding uh, grant through Google is what we're working on now is, is all about computational thinking um, and using code to figure out a way to solve a problem. Yeah. And actually, it doesn't even really have to be code, really. It's just a way to think like a programmer. You exactly. know? It's just like learning a language like Spanish or anything else. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. So with the great success you've had over at St. Petersburg College, tell us about some of the partnerships and organizations that you've worked with. Um, well, like, like I mentioned before, FLA STEM is the one group that helps with the coding classes, and that's the, the uh, group that works with, it's the high school student who started the, the program and works with, like, middle school kids. Um, he comes in a lot with his group and helps with some of our coding classes. Um, yeah, so, and I'm trying to think of some of the other ones. Um, I mean, NASA was a big one, right? Yeah, NASA. Um, they... Uh, We've, I've been working with them a little bit on some home, some of the homeschooling stuff that we do. So a lot of our workshops, like we'll do a workshop on robotics, for, for example, and, and I'll have two different homeschooling groups come and then one public group come. So it's, it's a pretty big thing. And, and my coding classes pretty much fill up instantly, with, and it's usually homeschooling. Um, so that's a big – and public libraries know this very well, that homeschoolers use those resources religiously. So um, – so I've worked with them. Um, gosh. Any community organizations? Um, the Girl, Girls Incorporated we're working with uh, on the grant side. Um, I work, well, with the Seminole Recreation Department, which is a little recreation area right across the street. Um, they've got a digital den now. Nice. Um, cool. Which is kind of neat. A guy, the guy that works at City Hall, his name's Mark Ely. He put his own money in and bought over like $90,000, I think he's actually put in his own money. So they have this digital den. We say that they focus more on the digital art side. So we've collaborated with them quite a bit. Wow. Um, There's a publisher that just came out, um, and I can't think of the guy's name right now either. Um, But he puts out all these books um, about innovation, and they're worldwide. They're global. Um, And so he came to me and, and asked if I would write like a little you know, one page thing on our library. And so I said, sure, absolutely. 
and we did that and then I was asked to do an augmented reality video for it so that was kind of neat so our page is going to come to life in other words That's cool. so uh, I wish I could remember the name of the publisher I just can't think of it off the top of my head oh and then this is the most exciting thing now I actually did this today um, I'm working with an old friend of mine he, he's the CEO for this group called Culturing Solutions and we're basically building an outside laboratory um, to basically demonstrate this hybrid um, algae production technology. So they've been working on this algae conversion to biofuels for, for about 10 years now. And so we um, finally got approval to do that. And so we're going to be building a pond and we have this big fermenting uh, container and, and probably 500 tubes um, that we're going to be putting together hopefully within the next couple of days. Wow, that's awesome. So, and it's actually, it's, it, we, could, we could go into what's called the Barley Prize and, and win, I think, up to $50,000 if he gets selected. So it's kind of a big deal if we, if we get it to go through and, and get to the next stage. Does that have to, um, in order for, I'm assuming it's going to be like a learning classroom, an outdoor classroom kind of thing, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's going to be, yeah, we've got a couple biology students that are interested in working with, with this guy. Um, and then I'm going to be more like documenting it and getting some of the engineering students out there to maybe do some of the censoring, you know, maybe bring some Arduinos in and that kind of thing. But it's, it's a pretty exciting thing. Um, it's going to take up quite a bit of space. Um, but you're going to be able to see, and again, I'm not a scientist, like I said before, but there's, you know, you'll be able to see the algae go through a photosynthesis kind of process where they're 24 seven creating this methane basically that can be turned into alternative fuel. So it's pretty exciting stuff. It's like a natural classroom. That's really interesting. Is there any um, state in order for it to be part of, I'm assuming it's going to be part of the uh, the college, right? Yeah, it's a temporary kind of install right now, but we might, we're actually, we might write a grant for it again for like um, kind of a micro reactor kind of a thing for it. Um, so yeah, I don't know where it's, where it's going to go, but if, as of right now, it's more of like kind of a big science project, um, with the hopes of maybe winning that barley prize. That's really cool stuff. That's really innovative. Yeah. And it actually, it, it takes, and again, I don't know the whole process. Um, I'm learning as I go with this, but, um, apparently the algae blooms in, um, certain rivers in Florida are really bad. And this process actually helps eliminate that. So it, it's not only creating natural, you know, biofuel, but it's also taking these horrible algae blooms out of the environment. Wow, we could use that up here too. Yeah. So and he's actually had this this installation in India and Hungary and a couple of other places. So yeah, we're actually pretty yeah. excited to have it on our campus. The end result could be power city buses and things like that. You know, you don't yeah. Sure. Yeah. He he wants to. He's actually talked to investors before, and he's got these this this grand vision of being able to have a factory of algae kind of just going in and creating this biofuel. It's possible. So, you know, and then combining it with solar, you know, we've got solar on our campus too. We might be able to power this thing via solar. Who knows? That's great. You got to do something. Yeah. That sounds awesome. Yeah. That really is great because I mean, that's taking this, that's take, that's the dream, right? Mm -hmm. Having a makerspace that actually does, Makes. That makes makes and yeah. innovates and continues to uh, develop and make something that's going to better the world. 
Yeah, and we're building a butterfly garden too. We just got a new stem center that was opened up, and it's like a I forget how much it's what the actual price to build this thing was, but it's beautiful. And my wife is actually going to be the coordinator, and so um, so we're going to put all these plants that attract butterflies because you know the monarch butterfly population is almost extinct, and it's because people are just clueless, you know, and they're destroying milkweed. They think it's a weed, but it's actually a plant that those um, monarchs lay their eggs on. You know, um, without that plant, they don't lay their eggs and they die. And they pollinate and they do all kinds of stuff. It's like the bee, you know, if bees die, we die. Yeah. And yeah. so so we're like, we're going to create this butterfly garden. And uh, so we've got a list of plants we're going to use. And it's just exciting. And then you actually start to see the whole process of, you know, of a, of a butterfly lifestyle um, or a life cycle. And what's cool is right next to our STEM center, there is a K through eight fundamental school that's going to be working with us as well. So lots of opportunities. That is amazing stuff to talk about. It's, another place we should go work for, Chris. I know, right? Every time we do this, it's another place. It's like, wow, we should work there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, right? That's, that's amazing stuff. Well, we have to thank you for, for taking the time to speak with us. Uh, your enthusiasm for um, innovation is really inspirational. And you know, we hope that your words inspire more people to go out and do the same. Uh, well, I appreciate that. Yeah, it's, it's, I talk too much sometimes. I need to. No, I need to, no, no, no this not at all. This is session. amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. So when we come back, we're going to speak to Chad and be asking him our top ten library questions, or what we like to call the O three two list, which is the Dewey number for top ten lists. Uh, these questions are what we ask all of our guests. So we'll be back in a moment to uh, torture. Torture, Chad. <laughs> Good example. Sure. <laughs> we'll be back in just a moment. Okay, we're back talking with Chad Marin, librarian at the Innovation Lab at St. Petersburg College, and he's our next participant in the 032 list. The questions were inspired by the website Library Hub, an informative library-related news site that has stories and interviews uh, related to library land. So you can uh, see their work by visiting www. I just did it, and it's not even on the script. Yeah, Look at we that. Just start over. Terrible. Hey, we're back with Chad Marin. Yeah, right, exactly. Uh, so by visiting lithub.com, check them out. Library Hub, too. Yeah. It's okay. Did I say Library Hub? Well, you get tired towards the, the end. Literary Hub. I understand, 47. Right. It's okay. Did we give credit to Mel? I don't think Not we gave yet, credit to Mel. Not yet, because you said Library Hub and Mel didn't do Library Hub. No, yeah. So check out, <laughs> so check out, check Library, <laughs> Lib Hub. See, Bob does this to me all the time. 
they do great a great job educating and informing the library world on great topics from all over the world. Thank you, Literary Hub. So before we begin the, the list, we have to give credit that we always do at every podcast mm-hmm. to Melanie Cardone from the Longwood Public Library because she came up with the idea. She doesn't get any money. so She, gets she doesn't credit. get any money. She's and by it. the way, we haven't mentioned Ellen Druda. Oh, cha-ching. Cha-ching. Dollar sign. We get paid every time we mention Ellen Druda's yeah. name. We don't, but. We don't, but she, we her do. tally's up a couple hundred bucks now. I'm sure. Yeah. So Ellen, if you're listening, um, it's time to go to the ATM machine. Yeah. We'll give you a total later. Yeah. Hi. Hi, Alan. I'm, there's more money. There you yeah, go. Yeah, if you mention Ellen, it's two dollars. So it's like we're like. Oh 10, wow! 10 yeah, right just say Ellen Druda a couple of times. Yeah. <laughs> Ellen Druda. There you go. All right. We're getting paid. Who needs a Patreon? Nice. <laughs> okay, so we're going to start the. And again, thank you to Melanie for coming up with the O three two list uh, name. So, what did you want to be when you were a child? Hmm. What did I want to be? You know, a veterinarian. Yeah, and a, I wasn't expecting. Yeah, that. veterinary was pretty much it for a while, and then I wanted to be in the Air Force. Hmm. That's cool. Yep. So, so I like you know, I would, well, actually, the Blue Angels were Navy though, weren't they? They were. Yeah, I like, I, yeah. Remember the Blue Angels? I, I sure. used to love that stuff. They and just, I was like, they that's just, what I wanted. They to just be. performed here, Fourth, Beach, yeah. yeah, for Fourth July. Yeah. yeah, they were here, and the so Thunderbirds were here too. Yeah, yeah I wanted to be a, a pilot like that, but didn't quite work out. Oh, there's still time. No, <laughs> <laughs> So what is your first memory of a library, and who brought you to the library for the first time? Uh, you know what? It was probably it was my mom, and I went to get a library card, and it was had something to do with school. Um, I was probably in kindergarten, maybe five. Hmm. I don't remember what library it was now, though. I think it, You know what? I think it might have been, this, it's called North Branch. But yeah, I was, I was pretty young, about five. Okay, so when did you decide to work in a library, and if not... What was your first career path? Because many librarians and staff choose the, prof- the pre- profession as a second career. You know, I worked, uh, I was probably, see, I used to do hard labor. I mean, I was, you know, I actually worked for Budweiser for a while. I was toting kegs around, and, and that got to be hard, and painted houses, and mowed yards. And, I mean, I had my own lawn service when I was a kid. Um, made real good money so I could buy records. But, um, you know, I worked <laughs> in a library just shelving books for a while. Um, and I was in college at that point. No, I was, it was before college, but I loved it. I loved it. And then, um, you know, I went to college and I worked there. And then I was at the Library of Congress. And then I came back and worked there. And I like that he just drops that. Yeah, and I worked at the yeah, Library of Congress. Yeah, and, just, and I mowed lawns and yeah. Library yeah. of Congress. And. Exactly, right? I mowed lawns at the Library of Congress. No, I didn't. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so it was cool because it, it was at the Pinellas Park Public Library. And I don't know if you ever knew the guy, knew John Eiliff, but um, unfortunately he's not alive anymore. But um, he was my mentor from that library and he was amazing. Um, actually, I think he passed away about 11 years ago. But anyway, he was from that library. And so that's the true inspiration for me to be. That's what I wanted to be because he was socially aware, but he was also technically brilliant. And I kind of liked both of those aspects of what he did yeah. and so um the rest is history really i i kind of followed in his footsteps you know i had a patron at one of our libraries tell us that you know we we couldn't we were trying to do something for her but we couldn't couldn't get it done and uh she wasn't taking no for an answer and she literally as she was leaving told us that she was going to turn us into the library of congress and <laughs> down because she knew that nice. that was the you know oversight that we reported to it's great nice. so along those That's lines cool. who is your favorite fictional librarian who was my favorite fictional librarian? Yeah. 
Hmm. This is one of our favorite questions. Yeah, we've had a lot of good answers. Yeah. What's the librarian's name on Ghostbusters? Oh, that's a good one. That's a good I don't one. I the name, but I definitely can't forget the face. Yeah, that's probably my favorite fictional librarian. That's it's probably cool. not as sophisticated as everybody else, but no, that's, but that's, the, uh, that's, that's the one I remember, you know? Yeah. Remember all the ghosts in the library and everything? Yeah. <laughs> so I believe it's... Is it... Hmm. She was a famous actress, too. She was yeah, a, she I was can't a remember. Bunch of stuff. I just can't Alice think. Drummond? Maybe. Is that her name? Sounds... Ellen Druda. Ellen Druda. Ellen Druda. There we go. You know what would been cool if he had said if he had said the, the the ghost reading the book in Ghostbusters, but that's not a librarian, I guess. There was a ghostly yeah. librarian too. Yeah. Well, that was the one that goes shh like that, and then she screams. Yeah. Yeah, that was fun. But that's yeah, we haven't that, had that one yet. No, that's, that's, oh, a, that's good a good one. one. Yeah, I like that. Okay, so uh, let's see. What would you be doing if you were not working in a library? Mowing lawns. That's oh, a good. It is Florida. They can mow all year round. I'd be yeah. Who knows? Um, what would I be doing? Well, I mean, I'm a musician, but I don't. I wouldn't want to do that full time. I don't think. Um, Not unless you were playing for Pearl Jam or something like that. I mean, unless I was playing. Yeah, exactly. Um, what would I be doing? God, that's a great question. I, you know, if I had it to do all over again, I would probably still be doing library work. You know. Um, Maybe a computer programmer. There you go. Yeah. Wow, that's uh, you're pretty confident about that. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah. I mean, if I had, to, if I, if I had to like find another job, I would, I would say I'm going to dig in and and really do that and see what I can come up with. You know, just because I find it interesting, I like that kind of thinking. I like that. But yeah, musician yeah. would be cool part time and maybe coder part time. Yeah. Or both. You can do both at the same time, pretty much, if you really good. Yeah. You can play in one you code in the other. <laughs> so. Yeah, I do actually um, include little bits with my drum kit. That's cool. That's always fun. I have some weird kind of control electricity and stuff with weird kind of sounds that way, and I play drum beats to it. Oh, it's kind of fun. Neat. We're going to need a sample of that when we're done. Yeah, right? we're going to so need a sample of that. Put it up on the website. Yeah. Yeah, I, have to find, I think I got some stuff somewhere. That's cool. Send it over. Oh, we need images too, right? We need them. We have all kinds of stuff. I think I did an Instagram video on it actually once. Really? You got to give but us the stuff so we can put it on the uh, yeah. on the episodes page on our website. Yeah, yeah, I'll look for it. And I think um, I'm, I want to say I was either holding the phone or I had it like underneath one of my drums or something. So it's probably weird, but <laughs> I don't know if you know this about us, Chad. But besides Ellen Druda, we have five thousand plus downloads. Yeah, fifty three hundred. We're so. almost fifty four hundred. Yeah, and we're oh, big, nice. we're huge in Japan. So konnichiwa to, to our friends in Japan. Yeah, sure. yeah. Perfect. That's great. Yeah. So congrats. So what what would you say is your favorite section of the library? Um, probably the philosophy section or sci fi. Sci fi, cool. And you know, it's funny because when we first started this, it was section of the library, sci fi, fiction, nonfiction, yeah. but it really has turned into area of the library where people are like oh where the 3d printers are or quiet space or something yeah so it it is interesting how people take and understand and interpret what section of the library even means and that's actually part of the the redefinition of libraries what you Mm -hmm. know what the term library really even means anymore yeah i just think it's i the way i look at library it's more of a collection of experiences to me, it's all about experience now. We're going to trademark that collection of experiences. 
Yeah, do it. Do it. I just, you know, that's what it is to me. You know, I mean, it it could be you could get an experience or or be inspired to go experience something from a book or, you know, or from a something in a makerspace. It doesn't. It doesn't really matter. You know. Um, Or you could walk up to the circulation person and ask a a quick question and and be and gain a most valuable experience from that interaction. You know. Yeah, so for me, for the sure. library is a collection of experiences, period. Yeah, it's just in discovery, too. It's all about discovery. Okay, so this is, a, this is one of my favorite questions, too. If you had infinite space and budget, what would you add to your library? Oh, a music studio. A music and film studio, for sure. Yeah. That's a great answer, too. With, with just top-of-the-line stuff. See, what's cool about where I work, though, is we do have a, um, a recording program, and so we've got you know, a pretty decent little studio. My band actually played, uh, recorded a few songs in there uh, a couple of years back. So How yeah, you, I would definitely. definitely is it a dedicated room or is it has it is it soundproofed or? It's soundproofed. Yeah. How big is yep. it? Um, God, it's a couple hundred feet. I'm, you know, it's a decent sized room. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That's impressive. Well, a couple hundred square feet, right? Yeah. Okay. When you said 100 feet, all of a sudden Chris's eyes lit up like, I'm 100 feet. Wow. Wow. <laughs> it's a pretty decent. Yeah. I mean, I remember my full band, we were six piece at the time. We fit in the room pretty well. And then there's a control room and all that. In and you had too. a full kit? Yep. Wow. That's pretty good. Wow. Yeah, I'm going to want to see that. There's a, there's a yeah, grand piano in here, too. Send us some pictures. Yeah. Send us pictures of that. We'll post it with your camera. Yeah, I will. Of us, of my band record. Now, that's not in the makerspace. That's just part of my school. Oh, that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> Doesn't matter because I know there, there are libraries out there that are looking to do that kind of thing. So, Oh, yeah. And band so, shots, yeah. too. So. And band shots, sure, absolutely. So what do you mm-hmm. love what, what do you love about the library? I guess love, like, can't live without, has to be there for you. Type of. What do I love about it? Well, I mean, you know, I, I still browse the new book section. Nice. You know, I'm still old school. I mean, you know, I still like holding books. Um, even though I'm a techie and a geek and all that stuff, I, I still like to just browse the new books, um, just to kind of see what's out there, you know? So, yeah. Okay. So this is another good question that we like. What is the weirdest, not necessarily worst, but the weirdest thing that's ever happened in your library? For me? Yeah. Uh, Hmm. That's a good question. God, I can't remember. <laughs> on a campus, this should be an easy one, right? Yeah, I mean, we get all kinds of just vagrant people that come in occasionally. Um, but the weirdest thing. Man. I should think I would have a, a quick one. I mean, hmm. it's not really weird, but I mean, I, I you know, we, we've done jazz in the stacks in the library for quite a few years. Um, and we'd have, you know, like a 20 some odd piece big band in there and it was, it would be, you know, maybe two hours and we'd always get somebody that would walk up and complain that it's loud. I was just going to say that. Yep. I'm like, (laughs) I'm like, you know, why don't you go, go get your headphones on and go in that study room and they make that out to be a big deal. I mean, it's not really weird, but it's more of an annoying thing. Yeah. I'm picturing this happen in my library and we'd get the exact same thing. You know, hundreds of people would be really, really happy and it wouldn't be like, I can't believe you did this today. Yeah, there's always one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I can't really think of anything weird, you know? I mean... Um, no weird student interactions or anything? Or you found something oh, in a bathroom? Asking, or, you're asking for trouble. Yeah. 
Yeah, right. I mean, sometimes you'll get like, see, I'm not really on the reference desk anymore. I'm kind of in my own little office space now, you know? I mean, I still do, I still teach classes, you know, like the bibliographic instruction, whatever you want to call them, the one shot. Oh, they make you teach them too, huh? I do a lot. Well, I did 14 of those last week. Oh, so it's like it's a one credit class? Yeah, they call them smart starts now, and it's for like first time college students. Um, and so, yeah, I taught 14 of those last week, which was crazy. And I had to try to write that grant all in all in that same oh, part wow. of the week. Yeah, I, I, yeah, feel, so you, I, I feel your pain because I worked in a I worked in a, in a college library too for about a year and a half, and they were always pushing for somebody to teach those classes. Yeah, this was not. I don't think I'm, I'll probably think of something weird as soon as we hang up. But um, I remember a while back. Um, I was at the Library of Congress, and there was a shooting on the Capitol, and no, I didn't know about it. We were just hanging out. My mom was freaking out, and we didn't, I didn't have a cell phone then, so I didn't get a chance to talk to my mom for a while, so that was interesting. Wow. That's kind of scary. sad, yeah. Um, but that was back in 2001, I think, or no, no, it was before that. I forget the date now, but there was a shooting in the Capitol, which was pretty close to where I was. In the library. It's scary. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Just me. Yeah, sorry. I couldn't think of anything weird. Oh, that's okay. So, that's all right. So this is kind of like, uh, so do you have a favorite regular patron or somebody you see all the time that's really enthusiastic about being, or being there? And... Yeah, you know, there's a, a homeschooling parent that comes in a lot, and she's got two great kids, and they're all really, they come to every workshop, and she's very passionate about um, teaching her kids this stuff. So, yeah. Um, and her name's Tina. Uh, she's always fun. A bundle of joy when she comes in. I gotta give her a dollar. Because <laughs> you mentioned <laughs> Tina. What's that? <laughs> you mentioned her name. I gotta give her a dollar. Yeah. Right. <laughs> nice. Yep. Okay. Yep. So our last question. Okay. What are people without library cards missing out on? Well, they're missing out on the library. Um, you know, well, they're missing out on being able to take things home. Um, our library, you can still do a lot without a library card. Um, yeah, they're just missing not being able to take some of the stuff home with them. I guess. Well, yeah, I so mean, all those six- it, it is funny because you know you get to bring stuff home for free too. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it makes some sense, right? I guess this applies differently to to where he's at because it's a campus, right? So you get to do a bunch of other things no matter what. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I know some places require people to have their library cards when they come into their makerspace or whatever. I just I don't do that. You know, um, I probably should. Maybe I should. I would have more. But I don't really look at those numbers very much. Um, I know, you know, a lot of the uh, my director and stuff probably has to do a lot of counting. You know, I'm more of a, an anecdotal kind of a person, like show pictures of of 30 kids enjoying themselves versus like, oh, let me count every person that walked past my door. You know what I mean? Like, I don't like doing that. I know it's important to do, but yeah. So, yeah, at least with the library card, you can't bring any, you just can't bring anything home without one. Right. Exactly. Don't go home without it. Exactly. Yeah. And who knows, maybe we'll bring vinyl back too. Dude, but I'm you can it. still do a ton of stuff without a library card. I know that's not the best library advocacy thing to say, but uh, you can still do a lot without one. That's true. Well, you can yeah. make use of a lot of the space in a library without having a card. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I don't check anybody for their library cards. <laughs> so that's the difference between academia and, yes. and the public oh, library. The public, the public's complete, like, you know. They could yeah. get bad looks if you didn't take out a book somewhere. You know? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, where's your card? You don't have your card? And yeah. some libraries, even if you give them your driver's license, it doesn't count. No. 
Some, yeah. Some are really hardcore. Um, I don't know. How is it over at Emma? Do you just do driver's license or? No comment. Wow. <laughs> wow. Well, I figured I wouldn't just jump in to talk about Sachem again. I figured I'd give you an I opportunity. Talk about Sachem all you want. <laughs> I did have my last library card number memorized, though. What is it? That's cool. Yeah, isn't that kind of like a like an occupational thing at this point? Yeah, you kind of have to have yeah, it memorized. But it was—it's like a fourteen-digit number. I was surprised I could remember it. My new library card number—I have no clue. I think it starts with a two. That's about all I remember. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, yeah. That's really neat. So thank you so much for being you know, a good sport and answering our, our crazy questions. It's really fun having you on the yeah, podcast. Yeah, no, they're great questions. Yeah. And I'll probably think of good answers to some of them um, when we hang up. Yeah, that's what usually happens, yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, man, that would have been clever if I would have said that. <laughs> that's okay. You know what? Send it to us when you send us your pictures. So. Yeah, sure. There you go. And we definitely yep. want to let the audience know that Chad Marin is a, and has appeared as a TEDx speaker in 2015. Yep, so he, Google it. It comes right up. got to Google it. He's got a Tumblr account for the library, spcilab.tumblr.com. And on top of it all, don't forget, he's a drummer in two bands. Yes, so maybe exactly. Maybe a couple of clips from me too, Chad. What are the name of your bands? Uh, Fowler's Bluff, which is a name of a, a kind of a s- really small town off the Suwannee River in North Florida. And we're like I said, we're more like a Pink Floyd type of band, um, Pink Floyd kind of Americana style, I guess. And then my other band's called Low Season, and we're more of a fast rock, punk rock band. Um, very poppy, though, not like hardcore or anything like that. That's great. That's really and then really, actually, I, I, I might be in three bands. I, uh, my old band from like 25 years ago, we just recently got back together, and we're thinking of revisiting our old songs and... Uh, and, and putting an album out. Oh, that's cool. That is. So funny. I've got four albums out from my other two bands, though. So we've we've actually got some stuff out there. Wow. It's on Spotify and all that too. If you're interested, yeah. link it to us. Make it this way we put up your profile. I, will. I definitely will send that to you as well. Yeah. That would be great. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, we played a show last Friday night. There was a couple hundred people. There was a, it was a good show. It was at a brewery, and my bass player uh, in low season, he's actually the brewmaster, and so my band's got a. A beer named it's called Low Season, so it's a it's a session IPA if you for you beer drinkers out there. And then my other band, Fowler's Bluff, we also had a beer named after us too. So we're actually pretty lucky. Two bands, two beers. There's nothing wrong with sending podcast folks a twelve pack. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> There's like nothing wrong with doing that. No doubt, no doubt. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, um, just wanted to say that. We're kind of out of time for this time for this episode. Um, but if you have any questions or comments for the show, please go to the contact us section of our website at the library at the librarypros.com. We will also have notes and links from all this cool stuff that we were talking about today. Uh, and you can also check us out on Twitter at, at the library pros and on Facebook at facebook.com slash library pros. And please don't forget to subscribe on RSS iTunes, which is soon to be Apple podcasts. If they ever figure that out. Uh, Android, email, and Google Play. So remember, the opinions stated by the Library Pros and their guests are solely those of Chris and Bob and are not those of the Sachem Public Library, Ellen Druda, uh, the Emma S. Clark <laughs> Memorial Library, or any other library. So we will see you next time. You've been listening to the Library Pros Podcast. The Library Pros are brought to you by Pippet Productions and by the Library Pros themselves, Krista Christofaro and Bob Johnson. 
Special thanks to Sachem Public Library for providing space for this podcast. Until the next turn of the page, I'm your announcer, Carlton Welch.